Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, here with Keith Myers, and we're talking training camp uh, this week. Keith, we made it. We finally made it to training camp. I can't even believe it. It's just been one heck of an offseason so far. It's been what feels like the longest offseason in a very, very long time. Uh, mainly just because... I don't think there's anything to, com- to, to compare, even. There, just, there hasn't been, you know, the mini camps and, and all of that kind of stuff, and so... Uh, just we're, we've been in that like no football news zone for much longer than we've ever had to deal with it before. And I think that's well, like the if big everybody, problem. If, if anybody's looking for good news, we, we got it. We got a lot to talk about today. And a lot of it is brand new news, fresh out of the gate, ready to go. Um, and, and, uh, since the last time we, we recorded, in fact, uh, I was on, um, texting you this this weekend about the show a little bit what we're going to do how we're going to set it up and i said I, I probably have like 40 minutes of content and you were like eh don't worry about it like the, <laughs> i think that problem will solve itself by the time we get on and sure enough what happened yep yeah <laughs> i was like there, there there will be news we will need to discuss it i'm sure there will be other stuff that's there um and yeah the, go to go to bed and don't worry about yep, it yeah. the universe um agreed and made sure that happened for us. So here we are. <laughs> All right. So in today's show, um, we're going to talk about training camp. Uh, we are, our main uh, lead is that we're going to have uh, five storylines um, that we're going to talk about. Uh, Keith and I have come up with our own um, and um, that we're going to watch during training camp. We expect to unfold. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the NFL and the NFL Players Association agreement on COVID-19 and what that means um, as we move forward through this process. We're going to talk roster cuts, initial roster cuts. Um, we're going to talk exemption lists. We're going to find out what that exactly means. Um, and then we're going to talk about a big, huge uh, blockbuster deal that the Seahawks made. But before we get into that... We just kind of wanted to get started on the on the first part of the show um, before we get to the the storylines, Keith. Uh, this has just been a huge, very long, drawn out um, process of an off season that started in you know late January, early February. Um, how has the team changed since then? What did free agency do? How did COVID nineteen impact it? The run, you know, the run up to the draft, our draft picks, no off season workouts in many camps, like you just mentioned. Um, so no first look at any players, no evaluations whatsoever. So far, you know, every other year that we've uh, covered this, and for the entire time the Seahawks have been in existence, uh, we've had a chance um, through media reports and so forth to get looks at players, uh, many camps. Uh, what veterans are looking like, uh, the status of everybody, how things kind of coalesce. There's just been really none of that, so it's been extremely difficult even to have a show. I mean, we've just kind of been kind of going along on virtually no information for months now. Um, 
which is really an interesting way to to go about doing a Seahawks podcast. Yeah, it's been it's been uh the it's been a weird off season. Um it's it's, it's been a win, weird year to try and and put out a weekly podcast and never miss a show like we do because there just hasn't been football content uh like there normally is and it makes for a challenging um job for us to you know have a what we believe is a good meaningful um you know entertaining show for everyone so but su- not surprisingly um you know we've we've done it we've made it through we've got through everything and i think we've done a great job with uh the shows that we've put together I do too. I mean, as far as the content goes, I think that we're, we've been, um, we've been really consistent and, uh, hopefully everyone's, uh, enjoyed it up till this point, but now it really starts. I mean, today is actually the, the official day that, uh, players start to come in. Um, I wanted to get into the NFL on the NFL players association agreement on, um, on preseason and the, the league year only because I think it sets up everything that we're going to talk about probably for the entire season, um, given the, the circumstances on the ground with this, with this thing. Uh, but training camp officially starts July 28th. Here we are. Players can start coming in. The big thing, though, is that players can start to arrive in their home cities, but they need to go through a testing protocol before they're allowed into the building and into, into practice sessions and so forth. So they have to have three negative tests uh, two days in a row. So today will be a first test tomorrow and then they skip a day and then the next day they have a test and then the day after that they can start to come into the building and so forth so the five days until uh after they arrive before players can start being in meetings um can do walkthroughs on the field all that kind of stuff so while uh training camp does officially start today it's really going to be a little while before we actually have any news unless we hear of uh positive COVID 19 tests uh, I'm sure that we will. Hopefully it doesn't impact the Seahawks terribly, but if you're going to get COVID-19 earlier, the better in this, the way that this thing is set up, because you're going to have to go through a quarantine protocol. You're going to have to obviously get through that um, illness and then get better and come back and, and be cleared and all that kind of stuff. So, well, the, the NFL, um, when they were talking about their, their process and, and everything they, that they've come together with and, and, um, they said that they expect positive tests and given the state of the country right now with, you know, cases surging pretty much everywhere at this point, um, they said it would be wrong to not expect that. So, but they believe that they have uh, between all the contract contact tracing they're doing, all the testing they're doing um, that they're going to be able to catch the, uh, positive uh, cases really quickly, get those people into, into quarantine and away from everyone else so that it doesn't become this a big thing where a bunch of people get it. Um, yeah. and, that w- and the key is the quick turnaround on the test. Yeah. I mean, if they can have a you know same day uh, analysis on those things, that would be awesome. Um, let's talk about some of the protocols that they've got to minimize the risks in place. Um, the agreed deal includes a 16 man practice squad. That's one of the most impactful, um, things on this agreement. I thought for teams, uh, to be able to kind of get through these things is to have additional uh, players available on the practice squad. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, one thing that it, it, 
it did do initially too was go down to uh, from a 90 man roster initially to an 80 man roster. I think teams have the choice of going through August what 15th or so with 90 man, but they had to split the squad or they go through uh, uh, to an 80 man um, right away. And then they can take those um, and split them into four separate groups of 20, I think um, going through as, as well and actually be, you know, be able to keep the team together um, zero preseason games. Yep. NFL canceled preseason. Uh, that was expected. I don't know that that is necessarily an indication of them canceling regular season games. I think it was just specifically negotiated into the deal uh, just for player safety. Now, they could cancel games one at a time, you know, a block of four games or whatever the league feels like it's necessary uh, going forward. But initially, no preseason games. Uh, opt-out clauses. We're starting to see what this actually means now. Players are opting out. In fact, I think today or yesterday was the last day that players could opt out. That did impact the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Um, Chance Wormack, who was a, a guard trying to make the team, hadn't been in the league um, for a year, uh, had an op- actually a decent opportunity to stick. Uh, opted out of 2020. Um, he was his family was impacted by COVID-19 earlier in the year, and um, he's not going to take that chance. And so he's opted out of 2020. The players, high risk players, received three hundred fifty thousand um, dollars if they opt out and their contract tolls. And then voluntary opt out players, such as Chance Warmack, uh, receive one hundred fifty thousand dollars for not playing. And their contract also tolls. He was on a one-year deal, so he's going to have to look for a new team next year if he wants to come back. Um, Ramp-up period for preseason, Keith. I want to talk about this just for a minute. They got 20 days of non-contact workouts initially. So from today for 20 more days, there's literally going to be no no pads, no contact. Um, And then 14 days, excuse me, not no pads, just no contact. 14 days uh, from now, though, they'll have padded practices. So helmets and pads, but no contact. So um, this is this is just crazy. Well, when you don't have a preseason, I mean, because you got to remember that training camp would go uh, until, you know, usually it's, it's um, I'm trying to think if it's, it's after the first or the second. Yeah, it's like three weeks of training camp. Yeah. Uh, and so they get, I think they get through the first um, preseason game, come back, do another week of training camp, and then they break camp. Um, yes. And then it's just, you know, normal practices and whatever while they, they get, you know, three more weeks of um, the, the, the preseason. But that's not really training camp. Um, this year, you, so you've got the extra three weeks of prep time between the start of camp and the first game. And so they're like, okay, let's bring this along a little slower and uh, have it be, you know, 20 days of non-padded, non-contact practice. Basically what this is, is this is trying to make up for all of the mini camps that were missed. All of the, um, you know, those, those kind of team activities where it's, those are all non-contact, non-pads and, but you get a chance to teach and, and, you know, that kind of stuff and, yeah. and get all the players up to speed on the, the, the scheme and the playbook and everything. And so that's what this first, uh, basically three weeks is going to be, is it's going to be all of, 
all of the off-season program condensed into that. And then, well, and you really think about it too that the regular season doesn't start until the thirteenth of September, so you're literally in this mode for six weeks. Yeah. So this is drawn out, seems drawn out early on, but eventually those guys are going to get really tired of going against each other and going to definitely want to hit another team oh, yeah. at some point. The uh, the length of, of training camp where it's, you know, uh, a little over two weeks and then they have the first preseason game. Um, that first preseason game, what you hear out of every player is, oh my God, it's finally t- it, it felt so good to just, you know, get geared up and, and go hit a, an opponent and, and, you know, actually play play what feels like football, and and like they are ready for it to be about playing another team after two and a half weeks. This is going to be six weeks of this. They're going to be dying to play a game. Yeah. There's going to be some fights. <laughs> oh, there's expect fights. There's going to be lots of fights. That's uh, <laughs> that is true as well. Um, one last piece that I want to talk about um, before we move on is the cap. So the revenue cap impact for 2020 um, is unchanged. So $198.2 million, um, that remains. But any losses that are uh, seen this year or into the future, um, they've agreed to spread over the four, over four years. And we talked about that initially mm-hmm. um, when we tried to figure out how they're going to deal with this. Um, that was kind of our idea as well as to how they could smooth this thing out to, to um, lessen the impact of, you know, player movements and contracts and so forth. They do have a minimum cap established though of 175 million. That was, and then teams to me, that was still the big, roll over money yeah, as well. That, to me that, that the, the floor was uh, the most important part of this because what that does from a competitive balance point of view is if they end up having to cancel games, right? That's a huge dip in revenue. And by the rules of the old um, CBA and the way the salary cap was up before, uh, that big drop of revenue means a big drop of um, of available cap space next year. And so you'll be having these teams that are, you know, they thought they had planned ahead and they're, they've got, you know, 20 million of cap room. And now they're 15 million over the cap because uh, the cap dropped by that much. And uh, you've got this floor, they can plan on it, they kind of will be able to see it coming because the way that you're going to see revenue drop significantly is mostly through canceled games. That's going to be the part that really hurts. And, you know, if they end up having to cancel the game here or there or, uh, you know, that kind of thing, or if they end up losing a block of four because, there's you know, the number of cases in the league just jumped too high and they had to get it under control. Um, then we we were talking, you know, block of four. That's a, almost a, almost a quarter of mm-hmm. their revenue. Well, it's not because the playoffs actually make up a huge chunk of of the revenue. But okay, let's call it twenty percent. Um, that would be twenty percent of the cap, right? That's forty million dollars. Uh, that's a lot of cap room that they, every team. Just the league lost. does anticipate um, signing a new TV deal uh, very soon next year, I believe. And so that that could help with that. Also, teams can roll over. So Seattle has currently roughly, let's just say, fifteen million in cap. Mm-hmm. They could roll it out into next year rather than making any more moves, um, and that would help with that floor um, to help them retain uh, players as well. Yeah, but they also have they also have fifteen million in cap, and you know, 
Clowney, Clowney's still out there. They could go get him, or they needed, and they desperately need a defensive tackle in the middle, not like someone who's going to start and whatever, but a, a key rotational guy like Al Woods was last year. Um, they, they, this is a team that needs to acquire, and yeah. they should probably, I agree. they should probably use that cap space to do so because they just went out and made a huge win now move and to not actually try and win now by filling those holes would be ill-advised. Let's talk about the roster. Let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the big move. Um, and what a big move it was, Keith. It was the biggest move of the off season in the entire NFL. Absolutely. Um, if you don't count the, uh, the 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 Andre Hopkins trade, now the, the the Andre Hopkins trade was definitely blockbuster, uh, but the the compensation was really wonkish there, and it just felt kind of weird. This one was truly blockbuster in that both sides gave up massive um, compensation. So the New York Jets sent Jamal Adams, safety Jamal Adams. Uh, to the Seahawks in exchange for Bradley McDougald. Uh, well, they, the Jets sent a fourth rounder as well. So in exchange for Bradley McDougald, a 2021 first round pick and a 2021 third round pick, as well as a 2022 first round pick. So mm-hmm. two firsts and a swap of a third and fourth plus Bradley McDougald for all pro safety, Jamal Adams, Keith, instant reaction. Uh, instant reaction was <clears throat> wow, that's a lot of compensation. There better be a long-term <laughs> extension um, tacked uh-huh. on to the end of there. Um, Adams, okay, you have to look at this in, in a couple different ways. From a football standpoint, um, this move makes a lot of sense in that you get probably the one of the best safety. I mean, he's, not, he's, he's an all-pro at strong safety. He's probably the best strong safety in the game right now. Um but he's more than that because you can. He's more than because that. Because he spent, he actually covered, uh, covered in the slot more last year than he did actually play his position at strong safety. He can be. He covered more in the slot than we actually use a slot corner. Yeah, um, he can. So he can. <laughs> he is probably the best coverage strong safety in the NFL. Um, period. Like that hard stop. Like there, there's no. True. But that is um, true. on that. And so you, you, you throw that in there and his ability to, to shut down, you know, the best tight ends and running backs and, you know, whatever he's being asked to do or, you know, cover a slot receiver and and shut that down, especially with the teams that have the big slot uh, type of guy that he, those players you know, he can negate them completely uh, from a game plan. And those kind of, you know, getting a guy like him changes a defense. It, it is absolutely a yes, huge, Keith. just amazing acquisition um, from a football standpoint. I mean, uh, yes, they, they got, they, they sent Bradley McDougal, uh, but basically when Adams, at, you got Adams to the safety room, McDougal wasn't going to play. And so he was going to get cut for salary cap reasons anyway, because you've got your two starters, you've got your um, all-purpose backup in in Marquise Blair, and all of a sudden McDougald's cap number makes no sense to have on the bench as the fourth safety. And so he was going to get cut anyway, so I don't really consider him part of the package. It's just 
the the other team needed a safety and he, they were going to cut him so they just threw him threw him in um and but two first round picks and a third and it's all next you know the the first and third are next year so if they this was a they they traded away the this, these future picks to try and win right now and that can be devastating long term because if, yeah, if he on a number of on a number of levels if he walks or you know um ends up you know not coming back not resigning all that kind of stuff what you've you go into next you go into this next next year 2021 without Adams and without a first and a third round pick um yeah that can't happen and you, you know one way or another we'd either get the picks back somehow some way or um, he's going to get signed. I mean, there's no way that he's going to walk out without compensation. No. Yeah, he they when they did this trade, um, I know that they are because there's there are deadlines in place for signing franchise players and that kind of stuff, and we're well past that. And so there's a date sometime I think in November where they're not allowed to uh, negotiate and sign a long term deal with a player that. Um, I guess, no, he wasn't on a franchise tag. He's on the last year of his rookie deal. Um, he's actually got two more years, Keith. So he's got he's got two more years on his deal, including the fifth-year option. So he's this is his fourth season. Okay. Uh, 2021 is the fifth-year option. They're going to pay him 10-something, 10, $10 million in 2021, which will be his last year, and then they can extend him. There's also a franchise tag in place if, yeah. if it needed to in my head i was could, thinking they that, could use two franchise tags yep. it would be four years we've got team control in my head i was thinking you know this was his last year and then then they're going in, into the franchise tag situation um and so but yeah if there's i forgot about the fifth year option um so that actually does change things a little bit and that you look at that and you go okay they're trading for a player that they have three years of team control with and he's such an elite player that even the franchise tag number is Palatable. Less expensive than what they would have to pay him on an extension. I can guarantee it. Maybe. Um, and so uh, he's such an elite, because he, you know, you look at, okay, the top five uh, safety contracts out there and you go, would you pay him that? You know, the average of the top five. And you're like, yeah, absolutely. So that really gives them t- three years of team control um, and hopefully an extension beyond that. And so with that in mind, uh, this becomes more palatable from a business standpoint, but it's still a huge investment um, in a guy, one guy, when an imp, a super like awesome impact player was is still sitting there in Jadavian Clowney and could have been signed without giving up all the future compensation. So um, if you're just looking for impact, sure, but I don't think this was just about getting an impact player. I think this was about getting a tone setter. Um, this was about getting really This was about getting a foundational piece for your defense. Yeah. And this this was I mean, he is um he is Earl Thomas like in terms of his coverage abilities, but he plays Cam Chancellor's position and hits um hard the way you'd expect a strong safety to. He's kind of got that intimidator a level. I mean, this is a He's an alpha. If you were going to recreate um uh, the Legion of Boom this might be where you'd have to start uh, of all the players, like all the safeties in the league. He would probably be the um, ideal one to start that with. And I think that is uh, where Pete Carroll's coming from. And he's like, 
we were at our best when our safeties were the best in the league because the scheme is built around um you know certain characteristics that require great safety play in order to work and we saw what last year what happened when we didn't have great safety play right the the cover 3 is not some like you know great uh, uh scheme that just negates you know, opposing coverage, it has some holes in it. And there's a reason why more teams don't use it. You've got to have good safety play in order to make it work right. And they didn't have it last year. Uh, McDougald is good. He's above average, but he's not great. And uh, Tedrick Thompson was terrible. And you put those together and the, uh, and the defense was bad. It was just genuinely bad. And so they traded for Quandre Diggs. They've uh, traded for uh, Jamal Adams, um, they fixed the safety play problem so that now they can uh, go back to doing what they do on defense and negate those holes that the cover three naturally has. I mean, every defense has natural holes. This isn't like, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, uh, saying crap about, about the cover three. The cover two uh, has um, major holes. The, you know, playing, um, you know, cover a high high safety cover one man under uh, has major holes. So there, there's always issues. You know, no matter what the scheme is, offenses know how to attack it. But the Seattle specific schemes, you know, based mostly off cover three, um, has specific holes. But you can negate it with when you have elite safety play. The, C- the Seahawks did that for years with Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. They haven't been able to recreate that. Now they just put the pieces in place to recreate that. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So when, when I found out about this, I didn't really care about the compensation, you know, we'll work through the compensation. We'll, we'll figure that out. It is what it is. It's steep. It's, it's something that makes you a little uncomfortable, especially when you're pushing that forward so much. And, um, it it takes away some of the the favorite tools that John Schneider has in drafts to use to move back in in drafts and so forth and pick up additional picks. We'll have to see how that works out. Um, They can usually recoup recoup picks pretty decently, but he's not going to be able to recoup first-round picks um, unless they trade away another player. And I don't see that happening right now with this roster. Um, I like the trade. I mean, this is, this is huge for this franchise because I think Jamal Adams is a long-term piece. This is just, isn't a rental, a two year deal or whatever. This is a guy that they intend on, on being around for six to eight years uh, in this defense and probably taking over for Bobby Wagner as the centerpiece and leader of the defense going forward. This guy's a a natural leader. He was the leader of the Jets defense. He's going to take a step back to Bobby Wagner, but this guy's total alpha wants to be um, a, a vocal leader of a defense. Um, and he has that in spades. Uh, he ran a 4-3-3-40 at his pro day at LSU before the draft. Uh, he was timed at the combine at 4-5-6, but he's a little faster than that. Ran a 4-1-3 short shuttle. He plays he, the 4-4-5. The, the, the four, four, if you watch his tape and you see his closing speed, his play speed is not 4-4-5. Four, four, it's like four, three something. Um, and it's pretty obvious on the tape that this is a guy with elite speed, just period, not just for a strong safety, but period. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he plays like a strong safety, uh, his body, 
Uh, he's a big guy. He's a thumper. Uh, he plays close to the line of scrimmage. Um, when you take a look at, at the way that New York used him, which we will not. Greg uh, Williams is much more of a blitz-happy kind of uh, scheme guy. Um, he he schemes things open for his players to, to be able to get to the quarterback and so forth. We're m- much more of a conservative um, playing defense, mm-hmm. uh, more of kind of in base alignments and so forth. Uh, but when you take a look at Adams' snap alignment, he played 324 snaps at linebacker. 124 uh, at edge. He had six and a half sacks plus 20 pressures um, from that position in 124 snaps. And then slot, they used him as a slot corner as well, 122 times. He only played strong safety, 84 snaps for New York in 2019. Um, Although Seattle looks like they're going to line him up there. uh, It'll be very interesting to me if they move him around as much as they did in New York as far as being kind of that hybrid player. Uh, There was a player um, that Arizona Cardinals drafted this year in the 2020 draft, Isaiah Simmons. Mm -hmm. This is Seattle's Isaiah Simmons. If they so choose to, they could use a player to create mismatches on defense now uh, by moving him all over the place. Now, that's going to disrupt some of your other players and so forth, so you need to be careful of how you do that. Greg Williams didn't care about that. He just wanted Williams or Adams all over the place. In Pete Carroll's defense, it's a little bit more structured. They depend on guys being in certain places all the time. and so Yeah, but this also gives you the opportunity to yes, uh, yes, do, yes, say do a bunch of different things. I mean, you have, yes. you have Marquise Blair on your yes. roster. So, okay, yes. you, you run out there with three safeties. Marquise Blair is a great um, near-the-line-of-scrimmage guy. He's a good blitzer. He's a big yes. hitter. He's actually not bad in coverage. Not, he's not like he's... He's more. Well, he's more, we'll see. He's more like. I mean, okay. Let's give even, him some opportunity. Even in his college tape, he wasn't great in coverage. Um, he was the second best <coughs> coverage safety in the Pac-12. I mean, that that's not you know everything, but he's not terrible. He's not terrible. I never wasn't trying to say it was terrible. I'm like, but he's not. He's not an elite coverage safety. Um, but then again. I mean, McDougal. But what you're trying to scheme, say is they have a lot of scheme diversity. They've got a lot of scheme diversity. So you run out there with three safeties, um, and you know the opposing offensive coordinator looks out there, sees you know the personnel in the field, and does not know who's lining up where, and you know you can't uh, make a call to dictate to Seattle what what they have to do uh, because you can Adams can play everywhere from free safety all the way up to an edge blitzer on any down. And when you've got Marquis Blair there to play strong safety so they can move Adams around, okay. Um, and so you, basically what you're doing in that situation is you're allowing Adams to be your your nickel corner, you're right? And so, but he's not really a nickel corner because you can adjust your scheme and go cover three and let him blitz. Or you can have right. him... Um, you know, drop out into coverage and play covered and, and actually drop all the way into cover too. I mean, you can do anything with a guy like that. And that's going to be a fun toy. I kind of wish that oh, the Seahawks had a uh, defensive coordinator that was more creative just to take advantage of all of his talents. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. You know, I'm sure they'll develop a plan. Um but it'll be very interesting. I wanted to get back to the compensation bit just a little bit because I went to over, uh, over the cap while we were talking, and I wanted to look at the top five safety uh, contracts just in case we do need to franchise him uh, or or 
find out kind of what an extension would look like. Now, for me, uh, Adams has come out and clearly said that he wants to be the top paid safety in the game um, and get closer to maybe top, you know, in the top 10 or 15, 20 overall defensive players in the game. Um, and so I wanted to kind of see what that looks like. So the top five safety contracts average 14, 14 million bucks, basically. Um, and so that's what a franchise tag would, would take. Um, and that's cheap when you consider what Adams probably will get in an extension because it's been reported out there by a couple different sources that an extension would entail, closer to an $18 million a year figure. And he would blow out the, the safety average, um, out of the water. Um, kind of like Khalil Mack did for, uh, the defensive line, mm-hmm. um, he would do in the safety group. So now if the Seahawks think that they could get away with, you know, 16, $17 million, um, on an extension, maybe they, maybe they do that this off season. Um, or they could definitely let him play out. I think his fifth year option, uh, salary is close to ten five for uh, the fifth year um, safety um, at the number six overall pick. I thought it was about thirteen. It it could be, but I'm thinking it was ten something. Yeah. E- either way, anyway, even let's say it's right. thirteen, right? You're like right. for the best safety in or right. the strong safety in the game. Uh, I still would say Earl Thomas is the best safety in the game, but yeah. the. For the best strong safety in the NFL, 13 and a half, done, easy. Like that's, right. that's. So, <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm saying is I think that we've got some flexibility as a team to, to be able to pay him and keep him mm-hmm. for at least the next three years. And then we'll see, we'll see where we're at. Everything changes, you know, everything's going to be completely different by then. We'll get our draft pick. We'll be drafting again, you know, normally, uh, we can franchise tag him kind of like the, um, the Frank Clark deal and trade him and regain or recoup probably nearly all of that, um, um, that, that draft pick capital that we expended to get him. Um, cause his value is not going to change in the next, you know, three or four years. Uh, he's 24 years old. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I thought was that when I was, when I was looking back at this is, um, so this is a guy with, with, you know, three years in the league going into his fourth year. He's only twenty four. This is they didn't. Yeah. This isn't a guy that that you know is twenty eight, and you're looking at okay, well, you've got like um, a couple of years, and then you start having to wonder, you know, at what point does his body start breaking down? Or this is a guy, a young kid. He's twenty four. He's got six to eight years left of being at the high level that he's at. And that I agree. that's this was a great move by Seattle. You know, you take a look, Keith, at the at the division. Um, and what we need to do to stay competitive in our own division. And this is actually the perfect pickup for Seattle. I mean, yeah, you definitely want to spend the money on the defensive line and all that kind of stuff. I get that. And we still could, um, given the amount of cap that we have. Uh, but, but you do, I, I agree with Pete Carroll and John Schneider in this respect is that when you can go out and get a absolute difference maker for your team, a guy that quote unquote, tilts the field, uh, a guy that's potentially a leader for your team, a core foundational piece like Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright have been and Earl Thomas and uh, Russell Wilson. He's that player. You go get him and you worry about the compensation stuff, um, you know, but here's the deal with 
Adams is he's better than anyone they could have drafted in the late first round times two. Mm -hmm. So you take two, any two late first round picks that Seattle has had over the last 10 years and you put those on paper and you compare them to Adams. I'll take that deal any time. Yeah. That was one of the things is if you look at, at just draft capital, if you were to take two picks, um, in the twenties, right? Say 22 and 28, would a team take that? for the sixth overall pick, which is where Adams was taken. And the answer is no. Yeah, it would, it would take that. And then maybe something else. Yeah. Well, and the, and a third round pick and maybe a second round pick in order to move that far up in the draft to go get a guy. So if you think of it that way, you've, um, you've it's already a good deal. Excuse me. Um, Think of it this way, Keith, think of it this way. Seattle traded number eight and number 10 to move up to number three in 1990 to pick your favorite player of all time, Cortez Kennedy. Mm-hmm. So if Seattle does that and then they go out and get Jamal Adams and he's a, he's a not only a pro bowler, but he's an all pro and helps you get to the Super Bowl, it's completely worth it. Like the compensation doesn't matter at that point. He got you to a Super Bowl you, and, and put you in a position to get there multiple years not just next year, not this year, but multiple years now. Um, I I think it's a no brainer. I mean, to me, yeah, everyone complains about the draft capital, and that's that's what everybody's going to do. But when you really take a look at the player and the impact that he will have over a long period of time on the defense, it's a no brainer. Here's my the the one la- my one last point on this. My one big concern is that at some point they are going to need a franchise left tackle. That is huge, and that that is the big sticking point here for me too. And because um, you know Dwayne Brown is getting old, and he's had some injury problems recently, in part because he's getting old, um, and so they're going to need to replace him, and you know get a guy that can protect Russell Wilson on that side. And if you look at the people that you and I talked about in the draft for this year. Taking it, you know, picking near the end of the first round, it was guys that have franchise left tackle potential, but need to play a year or two on the right side in order to uh, hone their game, uh, you know, and really get some polish before they move them over. And, and I honestly have a feeling, Keith, that they're going to actually have to go out and get a free agent left tackle, which is so expensive. or a, or a trade to to do. I know, mm-hmm. but what choice are they going to have? They're not picking in the first round in the, for three years. Dwayne Brown could this could be his last season mm-hmm. um it might not be I mean the best possible scenario for the Seahawks right now is to have Dwayne Brown play out his entire contract and maybe sign up for one more year um the the worst case scenario is this is his last year or he he might you know gets injured doesn't finish the season Seahawks have really thinned out on uh tackle depth and they're stuck next year, and they've literally got to go out and, and solve that problem likely way before the draft. And the only way to, to do that is to sign a free agent to a sizable deal, and that's going to have to be the priority next offseason, yeah. I'm thinking. And so, and that this, this is my concern, right? Because that is a cornerstone position on your defense or on your offense. And they've put themselves in a position where they know a big need is coming and they don't really have a way to solve it. Um, and, and they may have to give up something like Tyler Lockett to do it. 
which is which is horrible mm-hmm. to think about, but it could happen. Yep. And so that that's my that's my biggest concern is uh, when I look into the future. But the other part of it is if you look at uh, John Snyder's first round picks. Um, now, granted, he he gave away a lot of his first round picks and trades and and that kind of stuff. Um, and he also allowed uh, Tom Cable to select the who, who they thought was the best available offensive lineman uh, a couple of times, but. You you end up with a situation. His first round picks have never like Earl Thomas was great. Russell Okung was pretty dang good. Those were both the first year. Um, what's the first round pick situation been like since then? Um, the only other one that's really worked out well for them was Bruce Irvin the following year, and even that one he didn't get a second contract. In but, Seattle. And those were all above you know picking you know twenty. Yeah, those are all early um, early picks. First first half of the. Draft, right? Yep. And so his track record is in finding mid round talent that develops into uh That's why I was a, really shocked yeah. they didn't draft <clears throat> an offensive tackle this year. And that's way before this Adams pick even you know, or this Adams deal even came into being. Mm-hmm. Uh they didn't address the left tackle of the future um situation. They went with Damian Lewis and said it right guard, uh, obviously tackled that situation. That's fine. Uh, but but left us kind of out there with with nothing mm-hmm. on the vines for the future at, at tackle. So it'll be interesting. Keith, let's get to this year. Let's get to right now. Let's get to training camp. So let's talk uh, uh, the moves that, that have happened in the last couple of days, and then we'll get to the storylines. Um, Chance Wormack opted out of 2020. We mentioned that. Uh, we'll talk about how that impacts the offensive line here in a bit. Uh, Quentin Dunbar placed on the NFL exempt list. Keith, we thought this might be a possibility. We just didn't know based on the, um, the legalities, uh, that he's facing in Florida on this situation. Uh, but it turns out this was probably a likely scenario for him all along. He was placed on that list. Um, and now very, very, very unlikely that he will suit up for the Seattle Seahawks. He's on a one year deal. Yep. Um, basically, and I think that's it. So, uh, just to, um, for the people who are listening, uh, being on the commissioner's exempt list means they're not eligible to practice. They're not eligible to play. They still get paid. So this isn't a situation where you're like, oh, well, you're, you know, suspending a player and taking away his right to work and any of that. He still gets paid. Um, but, oh, and he doesn't count against the cap. Um, but it's basically it was a it was a, a a list put in place in the CBA to give uh, the league some control over its image, and so it was yes, it was, it was specifically uh, designed for domestic violence cases. So you could take that player who was is in the news and and having you know these kind of issues and get him away from the team, off the field. Right. Um, but not run into legal problems down the road because you took away their right to work. Uh, and so it takes them, um, uh, you know, off the team, off the field, out of this, out of the spotlight in terms of being them as a player. Um, but it, they still get paid and it gives them a chance to, you know, go handle their legal situation. I know you were like, Oh, this was kind of the, the, the natural situation all along. I'm a little surprised uh, that they went here knowing that, with what's going on, he has not been charged. 
Um, and is likely not to be able to get any even court dates um, since March. Florida or Miami in particular hasn't had a single court date. Yeah. And so he's not going to get charged. He's going to, um, you know, they're, his lawyer and the, um, you know, police department have had their war on social media and whatnot, uh, both accusing each other of, of stuff. But ultimately, I mean, he's, he hasn't been charged. He, the, he's in limbo. The witnesses are, um, unreliable at best. Yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> you can take either any site on it, whether they were, exactly, whether they were right. paid off or not. But ultimately, uh, if you are going into a trial here, um, how are you going to convict a guy when you have no evidence other than unreliable witnesses um, who've changed their stories multiple times? So, um, yeah, word is to Baker's uh, filed an appeal, uh, and that Quentin Dunbar is uh, likely uh, right behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they the, the new CBA allows them to have a hearing uh, fairly quickly. So. We'll probably hear a final word uh, within a week on this. Yep. Yeah, I, I just think that it's it's an unfortunate situation. Um, it it shows you that mom and dad were correct when they told you to surround yourself with good quality people as you grow up, and you won't hopefully get involved in certain situations that put your entire career in jeopardy. Even if you didn't do anything wrong, sometimes you're hanging around with, with the wrong sort of folks, and these sorts of things happen. Um, you know, it is what it is. But what it does to the roster, though, is it takes away a, a starter, a clear starter at um, at the corner position, and it restores um, Trey Flowers into that starting role again, Keith. And uh, and it also leaves uh, 79 players on the roster. And we'll talk about the other cuts in a half second here. Um well, let's let's save the secondary for for the uh, later on in the, in the conversation a little bit. Okay. Uh, let's go with with the other uh, cuts. They're, they cut nine players, two of which we have heard about: Joey Hunt at center. Uh, I had him off my initial roster when we did the roster prediction show a couple weeks ago. You kind of had him on there. Um, I had him and, off, and they did you? Oh, okay. Yep. They decided to, to to cut him, and which points to kind of a posick. Uh, backup at center option, which is interesting for me. Um, and then Brandon Jackson, which we both thought would be off the roster at defensive end. Mm-hmm. His spot was, uh, his spot was gone. I mean, they, yeah. they signed um, Mayoa. They drafted two guys. You've got Bruce Irvin, who's also been added to the rotation there because he's going to get some snaps um, at end. And yep. you've got, you know, you're talking about a player who did not make an impact in two years. Um, I know he was a former first round pick. He was a placeholder, but he was, yeah, he was just a guy that when they need, when, when an actual impactful player needed a, uh, a few plays on the sidelines, they'd send him in and hope that, you know, the team didn't run over him. Um, I mean, he, he was, he was yeah, just and, a guy. Yeah. And he's, He's not worth any further conversation. Mm-hmm. The The other guys on, on the list were Patrick Carr, running back, wide receiver Seth Dawkins, Khalil McKenzie, guard, Josh Norwood, defensive back. Jordan Roos was on there at guard, hung around the team, practice squad, and the active roster for a while as a reserve. Uh, linebacker Sutton Smith and tight end Dominic Wood Anderson, which I actually thought would have an opportunity maybe to uh, at least stick on a practice squad. Maybe, uh, maybe that's still an option out there. These are difficult times. The team's obviously hasn't had a chance to see these guys, most of these guys, on 
the field um, to be able to properly evaluate them. So just because they're cut now, though, does not mean that they won't be invited back as uh, different cuts and so forth uh, happen during training camp um, as they pare down Mm -hmm. uh, the roster to the final roster. So without further ado, why don't we get to our storylines before this thing just lasts for like three hours? You mean like a normal show? Um, (laughs) Exactly. So I'm going to do mine in reverse order. Okay. Um, Storylines. I'll do one. You can do one. Uh, offensive line starters and key reserves to me is is the storyline. The continuity was a big deal for Pete Carroll in the offseason. Turns out that's not going to happen. Um, the team is looking at at least three new starters this year and possibly four, mm-hmm. uh, depending on if uh, Upati um, makes it or not. So for me, I've got the starters, starters right now as Brown, Upati, Finney, Lewis, and Shell. Mm-hmm. Um, the big uh, question mark there is um, obviously Lewis. Can Lewis come in and really be the, the, the big deal there? They're counting on him to be the starter, especially after Womack now is, is off the roster. And then uh, Phil Haynes at left guard challenging uh, Mike Upati there. Uh, Mike Upati's got a small contract. It's not really guaranteed. I think there's a little bit of guarantee money in there, but not a lot. And so I expect Haynes to actually, you know, come in there and take that spot. Um, there's a few other, uh, guys Jamarco Jones. Um, Simmons is there. Posick we talked about is possibly being that backup center. Finney looks like he's got that job to me. That's kind of one of the storylines I'm watching is how does that offensive line come together? Especially since there's, uh, there's much less time. For the, for the whole thing to kind of gel before the, the regular season kickoff mm-hmm. uh, compared to most years. Yeah, and I, I had that on my list too. I mean, this is a, this is a, a big one because the offense has kind of loaded with talent everywhere but the line. Um, the line has potential, but it also has potential to just be terrible. And so it is a, it's a big deal. It really will help um, make or break the... Um, the you know the offense and how efficient it is and how good it is and what the ceiling is is going to be based on on the line there and so uh, the lack of depth especially the lack of depth at tackle is really concerning um, and I don't I wouldn't say that they're done I mean this is one of those things where they're going to be watching for mm. salary cap casualties um, they're going to go look at the you know the uh, three hundred and twenty players uh, around the league that were just cut and. Uh, try and see is there are there pieces out there that can help um, add some depth because this the depth at on the the line is not great this year. Yeah, right now we so. have Jamarco Jones and Cedric Abuhi as being the backup tackles mm-hmm. at least on my list. Um, and you know Abuhi is probably going to fill that George Fant thing when they need an extra lineman. Uh, he could probably play both sides. Uh, Jamarco Jones is better off at guard, better off at guard, but, but better off, you know, if he's going to have to play tackle at right tackle, Mm -hmm. even though he's smaller on the smaller side, but he's normally a smaller size tackle is going to be on the left side, but his feet are slow. So what are you going to do, um, with Jamarco Jones? Play him at guard where he was very good instead of at tackle where he wasn't. Um, yeah, well, if they do that, they're really low yeah. on, on tackles. You've got Chad Wheeler and Tommy Champion, an undrafted free agent, as as your other options. I know, which is not good options. Um, they this is and the, you know and you're the line is a big deal. I mean, that's that is one where um, I think that you have to um, 
really pay attention to. I, you said it was number number five on yours, and I actually had it up at number two. So, but then again, you know me, yeah. offensive line, right? It's kind of my thing. Um, so, <laughs> I actually wrote these out in reverse order on a first draft, mm-hmm. so I didn't even really pay too much thought into the order. I just did the order for this for the show. All right, go ahead. What's your uh, what's your fifth or fourth or however so, you want to present them? So I wanted. I, I I couldn't decide if this was number five or number one, but I was just going to say um, <laughs> the 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 COVID nineteen situation and who yeah. who tests positive, when, how is it handled? Do we have issues? I mean, you look at what happened with the Florida Marlins and and Major League Baseball, oh. where pretty much every team took it seriously, but Florida, of course, it was Florida. They had fourteen players and coaches test positive over the weekend and they had an additional five players this morning. Yeah. And then they, but they also played a game and they played a game. And they, After they knew that they were sick. Yeah. They let players who had tested positive go play a game. Uh, and didn't tell the other team, didn't tell the league, waited until after the game to report it. What? What? And what? I don't even get that. I mean, it, I honestly do not get it's just full on Florida. Somebody could be so selfish to, to be able to do that to not only to their own players and their own team, but to another team as well. well look, what, look, Just look at what Florida as a state has done during the COVID-19, uh, you know, pandemic the whole time, right? They refuse to shut down. They refuse to do anything. They have been this, uh, you know, balloon of virus from, you know, from the early goings after, you know, once New York settled down, Florida's kind of been the hotbed and it's never gone down because the leaders there don't take it seriously. The people there don't take it seriously. Nobody seems to care. And it's just going crazy. And I I don't want to say that the um, sports team follows the state as, you know, like that, but I do think that when everyone in a community has a certain attitude about it. It's hard to change behavior. You're expecting other people that live in that community to have a completely different attitude about it. And I don't, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And so you end up with a situation where this, that team is a problem. So they had to cancel opening day and push everything back. Um, And honestly, I think they should start playing games and Florida needs to take a loss for every, every game that, that they can't play because they don't have a team and maybe then they'll take it seriously. I think it's definitely going to impact uh, the NFL this year, Keith. And I think that, that the, the Major League Baseball thing is kind of indicative of what can happen. You've got 32 teams. You've got a whole bunch of young guys. Um, and you're not going to be in a bubble situation. And so you're going to be in 32 different cities, 32 different attitudes about how the team conducts itself and so forth. It, it's going to be a major challenge. And we'll see how far we can get. Um, I think the, the fact that if you go through 17 weeks of football, including a bye, and you get to a Super Bowl, so you're out an additional three or four weeks there at the end, uh, I put the chances of that actually happening all the way through without canceling any games at less than 5%. Um, it's going to be a, a major, major challenge, and this storyline is going to impact not only training camp, but it's going to impact the regular season mm-hmm. more than we can 
possibly predict at this point. Yeah, and that's why I said I couldn't decide if this was the number one story of the 2020 season uh, because it's going to be such a thing that's going to. The only through. reason I left it off, <laughs> I left it off my list, is because we were going to talk about it up front, and I thought I'd try <laughs> to stick to football on the on the storylines. But I totally agree with you. I yeah. I was going to put that on. It was definitely part of my thinking. So okay, what's your next one? Where will KJ Wright and Jordan Book Brooks end up uh, out of out of camp? So when they get to the regular season, um, Pete has signaled that it's the strong side linebacker role for KJ Wright moving forward, and the weak side would be um, Jordan Brooks to to lose. Which is he interesting. Wants Jordan Brooks to come in and 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 compete in camp and find out where it all kind of lands. So but that's the indication. So you're basically what he's saying is he is um, displacing KJ Wright from day one. And yeah, ta- and it take, sounds like it. And taking over KJ Wright's spot at the weak side linebacker, and letting KJ Wright become uh, the strong side linebacker. But the strong side linebacker is also home to a Mister Bruce Irvin. Um, right. It's interesting, Keith, that you say that because so in the in the off season now these coaches haven't had any chance at all to see all these players together on the field, mm-hmm. but. Pete Carroll's a very smart man. He's seen KJ Wright for eight, nine years. He's seen Bruce Irvin in action. He knows how these puzzle pieces should fit and how he wants them to fit. And so for him to come out and declare, I want to see KJ at strong side, he could probably you know, see the writing on the wall about KJ. He understands that he wants to get his best players out on the field. Um, so to split time with Irvin and KJ over there on the right side, uh, strong side um, of that, um, of that defense. I just, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because Irvin's going to move around a little bit. He's got the opportunity to rush the passer. KJ over there gives him a little bit more time, uh, allows him to play out his contract anyway, and gives Brooks the best chance to come in and, and, and be on the field full time right away, um, to take advantage of, of his team speed and his playmaking ability. So I do think that this is probably the way it's going to go. My question, though, is um, after that, what does happen to Irvin and Barton in particular? Uh, because Barton showed out last year, deserves a little bit more opportunity to to play, to have playing time. And Barton but, is a natural off-the-line linebacker. He is a, a little undersized, very quick, very fast, um, needs to be at... He played uh, middle linebacker some in college, but he's more of a weak side linebacker himself. Um, and yeah, but the Seahawks went out and, ch- and and picked Brooks. So now, what do you do? Well, Brooks is also Brooks was a middle linebacker his senior year and played outside linebacker um, before that. He's, I do believe he's more of a natural outside linebacker in the NFL. I though. think he can move around and play, you know, all three spots and do them effectively. Whereas Barton, I think, is. I mean, he played strong side linebacker last year, but it was pretty clear that he was playing out of position um, and is more natural off the line. So I think that what you've got in him is a player that you can move around, you can plug in places, you can uh, account for injuries uh, and that kind of stuff. But okay, sure. You've got Bobby Wagner, who's an all pro. He's not going anywhere. And then you're, you're... And you've got Adams that is coming in that has taken serious snaps at the linebacker position for New York. Mm-hmm. That does provide you with a with an opportunity to have a hybrid kind of look here where you can disguise uh, coverages and, and schemes a little bit. You can blitz Adams. You can blitz Wright. You can blitz Bobby, Jordan, uh, Brooks. Um, all those guys have the ability to get to the to the quarterback on a you know a different type of um, 
scheme looks. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, this is uh, your nice problem to have, Keith. Yeah, it is. I um, mean, as far as the Barton depth, Barton depth in particular, yeah. and and Urban as well. Um, so this, you, you jumped straight into uh, what I thought was the number one storyline going in because you still have the potential of seeing KJ Wright not on this roster and saving yeah. saving uh, over ten million dollars in actually. cap room uh, because. You've got Brooks. You've I got would have Bobby, thought it would have Irving. been more likely to happen if uh, Dunbar was still on the team because um, that gave him a little bit more, really a lot more flexibility in the in the secondary, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, with Adams, with Adams being such a unique talent, he could <laughs> he's got the ability to play. Every in, in every situation that KJ Wright has the ability to play in, um, as well as being this this you know, and if you could if you could get KJ Wright off the field, I'm, whatever. I, I love KJ, but let's just talk about him not being on the field. If you get KJ Wright off the field and you kind of have Adams back there moving around, he's playing strong side linebacker, he's playing uh, strong safety. You've got Blair to be able to come in and so forth. Um, that just gives you so many opportunities for matchups against different offenses and different players and so forth. Um, to, to when you're replacing right, um, and you've got players out there that at this point in their careers have more upside. Well, you look at at going from from last year to this next year, and you you talk about um, removing McDougald, KJ Wright, and Kendricks off the field and replacing them with. Um, Adams, Brooks, and uh, Blair, because let's say Adams, you know, gets most of yeah. the playing stuff either the, that you know, with the slot and yeah. all that kind of stuff. That that three and your and then you go, well, what did that do to your team speed? And it's like, oh, it massively improved your overall team speed. Yes. And that was one oh, of the man. things that we knew going into the offseason. The defensive team speed had to get better, and. You Plus, take, you put digs out there for more than five games. Yeah, and so you you you've gone and you've you've created um, a lot a lot more team speed, a lot more flexibility, um, and that's not I'm not trying to slight KJ, but you could tell even no. last year, which was a rebound year for him, and he played pretty well. That knee has slowed him down. He is not he he was never like. Super fast, yeah. but he no, he his brain keeps him on the field. Yeah, not his athletic ability anymore. His, I mean, he's certainly more athletic than than a lot of players, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, but he's at this point in his career, it's his brain yeah. that keeps him active because he's still one of the best in the NFL at recognizing a screen, reading it, getting up and and making a tackle. As soon as all of that, like he's, he's just amazing at that. And that's, um, that's awesome. And you replace that with a rookie and you're asking for teams to throw a lot of screens at you. Um, but at the same time, his lack of speed hurt the defense. There were times when you could just tell he could not make a play because he couldn't get there. Um, and so, so is KJ the KJ watch your your number one yeah, that kind was, of that was, uh, off-season look? That was my 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 training camp. It's just cuz you have all these players and I'm not I'm not suggesting that they have to cut KJ or anything. I love KJ right. I want him to be on the team. I, I do um, too. But, yeah, me too. But to me, how this breaks down when you've got seven guys competing for three spots worth of playing time. Uh 
And you add Adams in there that can play and, that. And well, that he's one of my seven. Um, and I, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, that is, and 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 of the seven guys, all of them are good. There's no like, oh, we're you're, we're 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 mentioning, oh, there's this you know guy that is might make might might make the roster or whatnot. No, these are good players. These are starter caliber players. And you've got seven competing for three spots. And to me, when you're looking at training camp and and there's no preseason, but roster battles and that kind of stuff, that is intriguing. That is gonna be fun to watch day in, day out, how that shakes out. And that's why that was my oh, man. my top um uh my top one that i love this is going to be fun well this is likely my my top one um for for a lot of fun reasons is the new look seahawks secondary um you got Diggs, amadi flowers griffin dunbar oops sorry scratch that one out i wrote this before dunbar was was sequestered (laughs) uh blair adams uh hill and then you've got all the young guys, uh, Brian Allen, Ryan Neal, Gavin Helsop, Debone Renfro, all those type of guys, Lindell Stevens, Jason Stanley we talked about. This is going to be so much fun to watch in, um, in, in I was going to say preseason, in camp. Uh, I wish there were some games that we could really take a look and see how all this is going to fit together before the actual you know opening day kickoff. This is crazy. Um, but the the secondary has now you, you take Dunbar out of there it's still got way more talent overall than it had um last year mm-hmm. and it has a lot more upside i really do believe um that that Nico Thorpe might be on the bubble this year at uh, you know a special teams specialist but he's not really a, a guy that you're going to put out on the field there at corner. I think maybe they take a look at a guy that can also give you some special teams upside, but also develop as being a um, in the secondary. Now that Dunbar's not here, and you got a guy like Griffin on a contract year, they might take a look at at having a, an outside corner develop on the roster this year. And that's why I think Nico Thorpe's job might be in jeopardy from a guy like Brian Allen or Ryan Neal mm-hmm. guy with the, the size length speed that can come in and really compete for that. Um, and then I just want to see the dynamic that the Seahawks have at nickel and uh, in dime coverages. How are they going to use Adams in the secondary versus being really up close to the line of scrimmage? Um, how are they going to use Blair this year? Is he actually going to be a slot guy or is he going to be a free safety? And are they going to let him roam around all over the place and make plays? He's a playmaker. You got to get that guy on the field somehow. How are they going to use him? How is he going to fit? How's Flowers going to do with the, uh, the upside that Adams brings just alone Adams. And then you add digs for a full season. How does that change flowers as far as being a, a, a man cover corner, a guy that can, uh, to make plays on the ball, a guy that feels comfortable making plays this year, as opposed to worrying about how the safeties are, are covering guys behind him. Um, last year. I just think it really makes a, d- a difference. And then if we can increase that pass rush win rate this year with all of the diversity we've got on the defensive line, uh, how is that going to impact cornerback play? And now Flowers, um, by by fate of Dunbar not being on this roster, gets another opportunity to really show his own development 
as well as the team development that allows his growth, I think is going to be a huge story to watch. Yeah. Um, and I, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, that, that is a fun group. This is an, uh, one of the better secondaries in the NFL. Um, the reason why I didn't have it on my list is because I think your starters are set, right? You know who your free safety is. You know who your uh, strong safety is. You know who both your corners are. You know that um, Amadi and Blair are going to get on the field in um, sub-package situations. And Nickel that, and dime. Yeah, yep. and that's sort of it. Um, and so <laughs> that's sort of it. Well, you know to me, I mean? that's really fun and intriguing. It's, oh, it's fun. It's it's intriguing. It's um, it's a lot of talent. But this is, uh, you know, this is training camp and and you know, uh, leading up to the season and roster battles and who's going to make the squad and who's um, going to win that starting job. And I think you got all the starters set. And it's an elite group, but that doesn't make it as yeah. But you have to admit. That bl- the the whole Blair and Adams storylines alone put this on the list. I mean, that to me. Now, I get what you just said, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. But to me, that's, the story is so big. Adams is going to occupy a lot of headline space out of camp this year. Yeah. Um, so we can look at my um, number three overall, which is the defensive line. Because yeah, I had that number one. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> I put it number three because I think that um, really I thought the, the, the human factor of it being KJ, the KJ watch um, and the fact that he's such a loved player uh, is makes that intriguing. Cause we're, are we watching, you know, the last few practices of KJ as a Seahawk? Um, can he win? Right? So I, I, to me, there was just a personal level to that one. So I put it up um, and, and the, the defensive line I've got, I've got sitting at three uh, because how does it shake out? You know who your two starters at defensive tackle are. You kind of got an idea. You kind of know who your two starters at defensive end are, but you've got um, a couple of rookies that both want to get in there and compete. You've got Collier. Can't he show enough to, to show that he deserves a spot on a rotation? Do they use some of the cap room that they they've got now that they've cut a bunch of people? Um, to go bring Clowney back into the mix. Who do they go get in terms of a defensive tackle because they desperately need one? Um, you know, there is nothing really settled. The, 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 the defensive line is kind of the opposite of this, of the secondary. Um, it's not, it's not settled. We don't know what the rotations are going to look like. We don't even know which players are going to make the team for the most part. Um, anything could happen. You could get new players brought in, uh, that will be maybe even starters or significant, um, contributors. Um, there's just so much that can change. And to me, I'm looking at that and I'm like, that's going to be interesting. I just don't see the personal connection that I have to the linebacker group because we're not looking at, yeah. you know, KJ Wright. So. Yeah. My, uh, you, you pretty much uh, wrote my script for, for this, um, for the defensive line. I mean, as far as the, the unknowns is call, you're going to develop. How's green going to do? How are Mayo and Irvin going to impact the, the line? Um, the the defensive tackle group is set up up front, but there's no real depth there. How's that going to play out? Who are they going to add? Uh, is it going to be a defensive end? Is it going to be a defensive tackle? Is it going to be both? Will they just go into the season as is, um, which would be 
perplexing to me, but not completely unexpected given the COVID-19 situation. Um, so yeah, to me, this is a, a big unit and it kind of ties into my next, um, my next big storyline is how do the, how do the rookies fit in? Um, Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson are going to be a big part of that defensive line rotation at defensive end, um, specifically at the, at the Leo spot. And, and how do they work with Mayoa to create pressure? Um, that's going to be a big thing. I don't think you're going to actually answer that during training camp. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to answer how the defensive line is really doing until three, four five games into the regular season, which is kind of crazy, but, but here we are. Um, so uh, my next uh, segment is how will the rookies fit in? Uh, Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, um, Damian Lewis. Um, those guys all are going to be either starting or key rotational pieces. Then you've got DJ Dallas. Um, how does he impact that running back game uh, for the Seahawks? Alton Robinson, is he going to um, show this year? Or is he just going to be a guy that, that doesn't see the field a lot because Mayo and, and Taylor kind of occupy all the snaps? Uh, Colby Parkinson, is he a guy that's uh, going to avoid that pup list right off the bat? Is he going to be healed enough to be able to have any time at all before the first regular season game? Um, Freddie Swain, is he going to make the roster? Uh, you know, are, are the Seahawks looking at him to solve their, uh, re, uh, kick return, uh, game? Um, he's very dynamic and I'm really interested to see if he shows up, um, at, at camp and really sets himself apart in that respect. And, uh, Stefan Sullivan as well is this kid, can they protect him on the practice squad or is he going to show up so much in camp that they won't be able to uh, keep him off the roster? So to me, uh, looking at all the rookies is, is really exciting to me. And that's not even counting Anthony Gordon undrafted rookie free agent. I think he's going to have an impact on the roster. Um, but he won't have as big a, as an impact as he would have had had there been preseason games. Well, now that there's no preseason games, he's not going to be able to get any reps in actual games yeah. to see if he can actually do it on the field. That alone means that he's not going to make the 55 or whatever it is, and he's going to be on the practice I will floor. say this, that the lack of preseason games means that getting guys through waivers and onto the practice squad is going to be much easier this year than in other years because there's no guy people that have come in and shown out in a way where the other 31 teams all see and they're like whoa this kid might be able to do something and then when he gets cut they go you know let's give him a chance and go get him um you're going to be able to get guys through waivers because anthony gordon went undrafted there's a reason why he. i wonder if there's going to be kind of an unwritten rule you know between all teams no there won't be Pick, picking off players off practice squads and so forth might be not be no the thing it has been in the past. No, it, I, I I think that um, teams are competitive. They'll do whatever they can to win, and, and and it won't be that. And the other thing is the players and the league and the the NFLPA um, they want guys that are on practice squads to get onto rosters, and they don't care if it's with another team. Because that means you've taken a guy, you've developed him a little bit, you're giving him a chance to to get on a roster, show that they can play. It's about player development. It's about uh, league competitiveness. There's just there's no downside to these guys moving around uh, because they're not even on the roster. They're not even there to help your team. They're there to 
practice and learn and be the scout team. So what is so, the what is the uh, what is the final roster count, Keith? Is it fifty three this year or is it fifty five? I think it's fifty three. Yeah, I thought so. so um, we want like fifty five was out there; it was on the table, but I don't believe that ever got. Adopted. I don't. I you're right. Um, you're so right. I'm pretty sure it's it's 53, but 55 is still out there as an option. It, I don't think it's going to happen this year. It might. They might come through and, and and rule and say, hey, let's go 55. But the fact that they increased the practice squads from 10 to 16, I think, says expanding the rosters further as far as like active roster isn't going to happen. It'd be nice to have that third quarterback because they, you know, the Seahawks just came out yesterday and said that Geno Smith and, and Russell Wilson will not be in the same room together this year. It's kind of like the president and the vice president uh, as far as being in, uh, together in, at any events and so forth. They're very careful about that. They keep them separate just in case. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing with this. It's like COVID-19 protection for your team. We're going to make sure our quarterbacks, we have at least one that can go every week. Yeah, and I and that's it's smart. I mean, like just you keep the the two those two guys away from each other, um, and because you don't want one to get it and him them to give it to the other one, because now you're at your top two quarterbacks, and then what do you do? Your season's over. Um, yep. And so, yeah, you just can do that. Um, the only th- the only like thing that I've got that we haven't talked about yet, um, and it, to me, it was it's all the way down at number four on my list, and uh, that's the running back group because you've got. A lot of injury-prone guys with with a, with a tremendous amount of talent and a rookie that no one's talking about and and a lot of people don't know much about and that's it because we know Chris Carson is an amazing player but he's never made it through a season without getting injured college or pro. Um, Carlos Hyde is statistically in terms of all the different ways you can measure a running back right there with Chris Carson but he's not considered a star in the league because he is injured a lot. You've got uh, Penny, who really came on last year and showed that he could be a difference maker in this in this offense, but he um, you know blew out his knee and probably won't be ready to play until around midseason. Uh, and you know you, you've got some other guys like Travis Homer, who looked like he could play out you know receive out of the backfield, but you don't want him running between the tackles. Um, and so he's not really, that's it. he's not really a scheme fit. And then you've got DJ Dallas, who has a tremendous amount of talent, but wasn't really on um, most people's radar, wasn't on our radar um, due to some injuries and stuff uh, his senior year and just a little bit lack of production. Um, but when you go back, and, when you look at his behind tape, a very poor offensive line, too. Very, yes. And then you go look at, but you go look at his tape and when you get, yeah, the offensive line was bad. And you know what he did? He made people miss in the backfield in order to get positive yards. He bounced off contact and didn't go down easy. He fell forward a lot. Yes. He yeah. showed some some nice uh power and explosiveness and and a lot of these things that make Chris Carson good. Uh and maybe he should have been on our radar. I actually, uh, you were you were on him right after the draft as being very high on him, very positive, and I was kind of lukewarm, if if even that. And so, uh, based on your talking to me about it, I I did go back and rewatched. Um, he's got like a fifteen minute highlight thing out there, and a, and another eight minute one. And I watched those just to see what I could see in the player, and I, and I I'm coming. 
closer to where you're at. Yeah. Um, I think he's definitely got some upside there. He's definitely a guy that's a w- more well-rounded player than Travis Homer. I'll, absolutely. Travis Homer uh, showed last year, you're right. He's a, he's a receiving out of the backfield kind of guy, uh, a, a kind of a fourth option. But you really needed that third option. Um, and Travis, uh, DJ Dallas gives you that. So if Penny's out, um, we, we've got DJ to, to take those um, those handoffs. Now, when Penny comes back and you've got Carson, Penny, and Hyde, and they're all healthy, I think that DJ Dallas takes a step back. But next year, with Hyde off the roster, Chris Carson's in a contract year, Penny's you know supposedly maybe healthy next year. Um, at least you've got DJ Dallas there with a little bit of game experience, and um, and next next year maybe he he takes full control of his opportunity. But we'll see what what happens this year. As you said, anything can happen in the running back room, especially with the injury history and so forth. Mm-hmm. DJ Dallas could be the unsung hero by the time it's all said and done. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at uh, the way it all worked out. You know, the, uh, really the last uh, Marshawn year when Thomas Rawls was the guy. Um, for a big chunk of it and uh, looked surprisingly good. And then he just never really returned from his ankle injury. Um, And then, you know, when Chris Carson came on his rookie year, like that was unexpected. He was not expected to be a big contributor, but all the guys above him on the roster flamed out and were just, did not have any explosiveness whatsoever. And he seized that opportunity. I mean, you're talking about, okay, when Penny comes back, what if all the guys are healthy? What are the chances of that? You look at Carson and Hyde's uh, track record. What are the chances that all three guys are healthy at once? I don't know if that's really that high. Um, yeah, it's, that's interesting. But I tell you what, I am looking forward to Carlos Hyde, maybe more so than, than some. I do believe that he's a very underrated signing for this team this year and is gonna has the potential to have a very serious impact. I mean more so than maybe even Penny had on the on the roster so far as far as uh, Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde could actually share the load if that's what it came to. Say Chris Carson had a fumbling problem again this year. I wouldn't have any problem at all putting Carlos Hyde in there as the number one back. They're I think re- they're that close. They're really the kind of the same player. Um, you go and look at like you know, elusiveness rating, how many broken tackles, uh, yards after contact per play, uh, just yeah. all those things. And they line up like Carson's three hides four, um, or Carson's five and hides seven. I mean, they're right there together on pretty much all of these more advanced, uh, stats. Yeah. And to me, that's why I like the signing is because you saw what happened to the offense when, uh, when Chris Carson get, gets hurt the last couple of years, all of a sudden the offense doesn't work as well. And okay, so now Chris Carson gets hurt and you stick Hyde in there and you keep rolling because you've got, you know, you cloned Chris Carson and <laughs> you've got his clone ready to go. Um, and so I, I, I actually, I'm with you as far as really liking that signing. Um, but I just, I want to see how this all works out because you've also got a couple of undrafted guys there that I think, I, I don't think you just write off and be like, no, they're, they're just, they're just bodies because I mean, Carson was a seventh round pick that no one expected anything from, but the Seahawks go and they find guys with particular traits. They like a certain trait and then they go, can you build around that trait in 
become in, turn into a good player um, around that. And those guys have that too, which makes them have a chance to come in and pull a Chris Carson and shine or pull a Thomas Rawls, his rookie year and shine. Um, and so you've got a situation where I just want to see how this shakes out. I mean, it's very possible that we go into the season and one of uh, Carson or Hyde didn't even make it through training camp without injury because they're injury prone guys. And so, and you know, and Penny's still on the uh, pup list. So now what do you do? Uh, to me, it's, it's a very interesting position group to watch. I have no idea how it's going to shake out because there's so many variables and so many unknowns. A couple of things that didn't make my list, but are right there for me is how, you know, the wide receiver group comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is how does Greg Olson and Will Disley um, perform. Does Greg Olson still have that top end ability? Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks a good game. I'm telling you, when you listen to him talk this off season, he's like, I plan on competing to be like the number one tight end in the NFL. I'm going to come in and help this team. I'm not washed out at all. I'm ready to compete at the highest level that I've ever competed at. If that is true, oh my goodness, because you, you put Greg Olson in this offense, um, as uh, working with Russell Wilson and you take Will Disley um, and you look at what Will Disley's done the last couple of years, right? When he's been healthy and you, and you, you kind of give that to Greg Olson. Greg Olson has that ability. And so if, if that's in the offense this year, my goodness. And then you add Disley, if Disley's healthy, um, that tandem right there could pay huge dividends um, down the road. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Like the, the tight end group was uh, just off my list. The wide receiver group was just off my list. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, you've got, uh, it's going to be a fun, I, I really wish there was, there was the two preseason games that there was <laughs> because I, I want to watch these guys play and really get a, get a I feel. Know. I for think everybody wants to watch football, man. But I'm at the same time, you, just... I do think it was the right decision to not because you don't need is it's not about contact or injury or that kind of stuff it's about guys sweating and breathing on each other uh for a game when you're trying to keep the number of um you know the number of covid cases down so yeah keith you know uh, if there's one thing about 2020 is that it's teaching everybody to have a little bit of patience um on a number of different issues um you're you're asked whether you like it or not to to be patient and to allow you know things to work and and you know things will work out in the end and all that kind of stuff um is being very much tested this year and uh this is one of those situations where we're going to just have to, you know, we're going to keep recording and putting out shows for the next even two weeks. We're really not going to have much to talk about. I mean, the coaches are going to come out and make a few statements now and again. Yeah, they look good, you know, reading their playbook and uh, the meetings are going very well <laughs> and everyone's trying to stay healthy. Uh, you know, COVID-19, you know, is not going to get into our meeting rooms. 
everything is going to be talked about except for actual football on the field, which is going to be a little frustrating. But once this thing gets started, I agree. I agree with that for next, next week, because yeah, everyone's coming into this quarantine situation. I believe the week after we're going to start seeing some players on the field to practice and they're not going to be, there's no hitting there's, they're not going to be wearing pads. It's just, let me ask you this, Keith, do you know, or have you heard about how teams are approaching allowing um, filming and, and reporters and so forth to cover the team this year and, and and COVID-19? So obviously like the fans aren't going to be allowed to go like they have in the past, but I am under the impression that, uh, a lot of that stuff's going to happen as in previous years, except for they're going to keep all of the press people and the cameras um, back further away from the players so that they're not entering the players bubble um, and they're not get, being given access to go talk to them and, and you know, have that issue. But the, as long as you're back for an, far enough and you socially distance and, and stay away from uh, the team that you can be there on the sideline and be watching and reporting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that'll be good. Wow. Talk about a packed mm-hmm. show. I mean, we just talked and talked and talked and talked about issue after issue. It was crazy. It's actually one of my funnest shows to do this off season because we finally had some things to talk about as far as, um, some players and, and some, some stories and the big Jamal Adams thing. My goodness, I don't even think that we've actually fully comprehended the impact that this is going to have on the team. Honestly, um, if this had happened um, in June or just after the draft or that kind of stuff, we would have, we would have uh, committed an entire show to that trade and his impact and the different things he does. And uh, now we're up against, you know, the start of training camp. So we, we fit it in as a, just a segment, but it's such a big deal. It really is. And I don't know if people realize just the type of dynamic player he is. And it's at such a premium position in Seattle. And I know there's a lot of talk out there about why do you pay so much for a safety? Like, you know, you do that for a left tackle or a quarterback, but in, well, you're right. He's not just a safety and in Seattle's scheme, Safeties are more valuable than they are mm-hmm. in other schemes. You have to have great safety play to make this work. And last year proved he it. He will become, in time, if not this year, very soon, he will become just as valuable to the defense as Bobby Wagner. And that's a big statement. That is a huge statement. But think about it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, it is definitely possible. I mean, Bobby Wagner is getting older. His, his time in Seattle will not be forever, no matter how much we want it to be. Um, I see him probably, he's probably got three, four years left in him, but when he's done in Seattle, I mean, think about Earl Thomas before Earl Thomas left before Earl Thomas started getting injured. Earl Thomas was the man. Oh yeah. Bobby Wagner took over from Earl Thomas. Kind of. So. Well, actually, if you actually talk to the players and, and or listen to the players. That's and, true. And no, that's the true. Field, it, Bobby Wagner is, has kind of been the guy 
from, Earl from his rookie year. Earl Thomas was the tone year. setter along with Chancellor, but Kim, Earl Thomas was the... Kim Chancellor was the true leader. He was the guy that ever, that players looked to. He was the guy that when Sherman, when Sherman was having his meltdowns on the sidelines, it was Kim Chancellor who was over there talking him off the ledge and getting him focused. Uh, he was He was the leader. Um, I wonder if there'll be any moments this year because, you know, Bobby Wagner's somewhat vocal in the meeting rooms and so forth, but out on the field, uh, he's kind of taken on a little bit of that role, um, but he's not the most vocal guy. Mm-hmm. And Adams is a talker. I mean, he's a yapper on the field and putting guys in a position and yelling at guys if they made, you know, make a mistake and... It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works this year. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be a problem because you look at the Jets and they didn't have anyone else on defense that could have been that leader. Um, they they looked at him as you've got to be the guy. You're the only like franchise level player on this guy. defense. Yeah. Um, whereas with Bobby, now he's got he's got help. He's got someone who's. Uh, there, but you've also got Bobby's also worked with Earl Thomas, who was a vocal leader. He worked with Cam Chancellor, who was you know basically like the big brother of everyone on that defense. He worked with um, Richard Sherman, who was overly vocal and demonstrative, and and all those things, and excelled around those guys and found ways to help all of those guys uh, reach their potential too. Um, and I think that you know you look at. Uh, Adams is kind of Sherman-like in ways, and he's Cam Chancellor-like in ways when you talk about his leadership and um, on-the-field intangibles. Uh, those aren't things that Bobby Wagner hasn't worked with. And sure, it might be their personality, and maybe uh, Adams doesn't want to listen to you know uh, Wagner and all those kind of things, but I don't, I don't see that happening. You don't look at a multi-time All-Pro guy who's considered the best linebacker in the game and oh, I'm sure and, there's going to be some deference given there and, from and, Adams. And just write him off. You know what I mean? Right. You, you're a 24-year-old guy coming off a great season where he was also named All-Pro. But you're talking about a guy that's been in the league who's been uh, either the best or the top two behind, you know, with, with Luke Keekley also in, in, in consideration um, at his position for ten, almost or for eight years. Um, there is you've you 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 can't just go in there and be like oh well this is my team now and you're gonna have to sit down mr you know multi-year all pro (laughs) this is not gonna happen (laughs) right no this is definitely bobby wagner's defense and i'm sure uh jamal adams realizes that too Mm -hmm. and you know what in the end it's the play on the field that's going to dictate uh terms on this defense and Mm -hmm. both those guys can show up and play and there's room there's room for both those guys and we needed adams i mean this defense um, when you take a look at it, like getting to the next level. Now, Dunbar would have helped, and I'm, you know, it kind of is upsetting that he's not going to be available and so forth. I would have, it would have just made the defense even better, but we're still really good, especially with Adams now. And you take a look at the NFC West and competing specifically with the 49ers and now the Arizona Cardinals up, up and coming. The Adams piece to me is like a really, really solid foundational piece of the puzzle. And maybe they're one player away right now from getting that NFC West crown and getting to the Super Bowl. And I think if they can somehow or another find a way to sign Jadavian Clowney or get get the best remaining defensive tackle that's that's out there on the market, I think that you know, or or even two pieces, whatever. Um 
if that happens, I think that it just takes this whole thing to the next level. And we're really seriously talking about being there at the end. Yeah. <clears throat> and that wraps it up um, and summarizes it greatly. I that's well done, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So uh, I have no idea where we go from here, Keith. We don't have anything written down on our schedule for upcoming podcasts. We, we went through our, five-week schedule we did five weeks ago, and now we need to kind of start again. Obviously, we're going to be talking about training camp and players and what's coming up and any storylines that have emerged over the last week. That'll be in the next show, and we'll just go from there. Um, Anything else uh, final to add before we head out of here, Keith? Nope. I'm just ready for practice. Let's get out there. Um, We're finally here. I know. It's been a a long COVID-filled offseason, and I am ready for football. And please, oh, please, every player in the NFL, please take COVID seriously so we don't have a Major League Baseball situation. Please, please. Absolutely. All right. Follow Keith on Twitter at MyersNFL. I'm at NW Seahawks. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of the shows uh, on the website. And you can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And make sure you don't miss it because we're here every week. So until next time, Keith. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. The show is at Hawks Playbook. And you can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.